Well, we're on the eighth <coughs> healing choice. Somebody said, yay! There are only eight. Eight healing choices. But the question before us today is, are we done? And I hope you heard from that testimony, not by a long shot. These eight healing choices start a journey more than they complete one. And as you've heard in that testimony, the, the journey continues. Recovery from hurts, habits, and hang-ups. That's what this eight healing choices have been, been about. And it's really not just for those who can identify specific hurts, habits, and hang-ups. It's a realistic roadmap for the sanctification of any believer. This is where we find traction uh, in changing our character to become more like Christ. Do you remember the road that we've been down? There's eight healing choices. And the first one here is R. Realize that I'm not God. The choice was to admit I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing. E. Earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to Him, and that He has the power to help me recover. First of all, we understand that the present management of our life is broken. We need new management. That's step one. The step two is the hope choice, that there is a God whose management can bring sanity to our chaos. And then the third step is to turn control over to Him, consciously choose to commit my life and will to Christ's control, to Christ's care. Oh, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust, the fierce moral inventory. V, voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask Him to remove my character defects. E, evaluate all my relationships. Offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me. Make amends for harm I have done to others, except where to do so would harm them or others. Last week, Ara, we talked about reserving a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and His will for my life and to gain the power to follow His will. And why? Yay, we're done. No, that's, that's, that's not what it's for. Uh, why is yield? To yield myself to God, to be used to bring His good news to others by my words, by my example, by both. When is God through with this healing process? Some might say, well, I'm healed, I'm done. It's time for me to graduate, to move on to other things. Aren't you glad that that's not what others decided when they got healed. Aren't you glad that somebody stuck around, decided to host the 12 step for the next group that was going to experience it? To remain in CR, growing healthy and healthy, helping each other become healthy so that those of us for whom this was a new experience, a new discovery, would have those who were willing to walk that path with us. When is God finished? I, 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 there's a, uh, a story in the Scriptures, John 9. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there. It's a story about one of Jesus' healings. And we've been talking about healings. 
Mostly we've been talking about emotional healings, healings of the memories, healings of things in our past, right? In this particular story, it's not about emotional healing so much as it is about physical healing, blindness. But in this particular story, this man born blind knew that his, his situation was one that brought shame upon him. It was believed in that day that if you were born blind, then surely either you or your parents must have done something hideous in order for this to be the compensation for it. And it was uh, something that was talked about amongst the religious leaders of the day. So who do you think caused this guy's blindness? Was it him or, or, or was it his parents? It was a hideous discussion. But you can imagine if you're one about whom those kind of discussions are regularly taking place, you don't exactly enjoy yourself in a crowd. You're not the kind of person to tell your story or other people might be making judgments about it. In fact, he may have had the same tendencies to hide instead of heal as many of us. So here's the story. And I want you to notice this. When in this 41-verse story is he healed? When is God done? John chapter 9. And as he passed by, Jesus being the he here, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned, nor his parents, underline this, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. Have you ever thought about your need, your weakness, as the blank canvas for God's art? It wasn't that he sinned. It wasn't that his parents sinned. It was that God might have an opportunity to work in this man's life. Do you understand? This thing which you've been hating, this thing of which you are ashamed, if you can turn that over to God, your life will come to frame his work like a piece of art. Thank you, Jesus. We must work the works of him who sent me. That's an important word, sent me. It's going to come up again and again in this passage. We must work the works of him who sent me. As long as it is day, night is coming, when no man can work. So now's the opportunity. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world, Jesus said. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay out of spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam and and. John wants to make absolutely sure we get the poetry of this. So he makes sure we translate Siloam. Okay? And it is the pool of the sent. It's the Messiah's pool, the one that God sends. It's the pool of the sent. Our healing is our sending. Then stop with us. 
When he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied it to his eyes. Now, he only got away with that probably because the guy was blind, don't you think? <laughs> you kidding me? Uh, and then he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. And so he went away and washed and came back seeing. Wow. Have you ever thought about that, that memory in your past that is like a pebble in your shoe that's making you limp? Have you ever thought about the spittle in your eye? The dirt that somebody smeared on your face. Maybe God allowed this pain in our lives, a loving God, so that we wouldn't miss the pool. So that we'd know we need a Savior. So that our very lives would have a a compulsion now to seek out a healer. I don't know why... Some of the pain is allowed in our world. But Jesus uses all the mud that someone else has kicked in our face to get us to the healer. Thank the Lord. The neighbors, therefore, that's verse 7. Verse 7. He comes back seeing. 7. There's almost 30-something more verses left in the story. It doesn't end until the end of chapter 9, and this is a great story. Can I read it to you? And as I read it, I want you to just imagine it happening, okay? You take the words and make them technicolor. The neighbors, therefore, and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? And others were saying, this is he. And still others were saying, no, 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 but he looks like him. And he kept saying, I'm the one. I'm the guy. Therefore, they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? Isn't it amazing? You change, people start asking. How then were your eyes opened? And he, he answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and he anointed my eyes. And he said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed. And I received my sight. There you go. They asked, he told. It's that simple. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I I don't know. And they brought him to the Pharisees. This one who was formerly blind. And now it was a Sabbath. Uh, See, you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. and, And healing and walking that far and putting mud and washing and all that. That would be considered work. So he had broken a Sabbath rule. Now, it was a Sabbath on that day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And again, therefore, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, also were asking him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. How many times has he told his testimony? Two two times so far, right? Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such a sign as this? And there was a division among them. And they said, therefore, to the blind man again, 
Who do you, what do you say about him? It's amazing, isn't it? How real experience carries its own authority. What do you say? You're the guy that can see now. What do you say? Each of us are the expert of our own experience. What do you say? Ah, he's he's a prophet. The Jews, therefore, did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. Oh, he's, he's making this up. Uh, people born blind don't get their sight back. I mean, may, maybe someone who had an injury recovers and, and gets their sight back. Maybe people who are once seeing can see again, but someone born blind, that would require a creative miracle. Are you kidding me? That doesn't happen. And then they call his parents. And they question them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them. This is really important. His parents answered them and said, we, we know this is our son, and, and we know he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He shall speak for himself. And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews were already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Let him answer for himself. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So I said, so a second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Okay. How many times has he shared his testimony so far? Okay, here comes number three. He therefore answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, that where I was blind, now I see. Deal with that. They said to him, therefore, what did he do to you, and how did he open your eyes? Surely we're missing something here. There's something to criticize here. There's something we can discount. If he'll just tell it again, we'll figure out what it is. We're going to get to the bottom of this. He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? (laughs) Ain't this a fun story? And they reviled him. And said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. And the man answered and said to them, well, here is an amazing thing. That you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, That's Scripture. Jesus said, who who would do my Father's will will know. Do you understand? Healing doesn't come to those who hear these principles and spectate about it. Healing comes to those who hear these biblical principles and participate in them. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if one is God-fearing and does His will, He hears Him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were born entirely in your sins, and are you teaching us? And they put him out. 
Jesus heard that they had put him out. And finding him, Jesus found him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and he, he trusted Jesus. But was his trust securely placed? Do, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, trusting this one who had healed him. He says, and who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And the word Lord there is really sir. Who is he, sir? He's been a participant in the process, but he doesn't yet know the person who's been a partner with him in the healing. And he answered and said, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you now. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things. Some Pharisees had become disciples and they were following him. Those of the Pharisees who were with him and heard these things said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, we see, your sin remains. What an incredible story. I want to point out just a few quick things. First of all, everyone who heard the story... uh, This man's story gave hope. Hope. While others were were trying to decide who to blame for the sin, he was pointing to who was responsible for the healing. The healing is obvious to us by verse number 7, but but God's far from done. He, He wants us when... We start our healing process to become those who give of the same grace that we're receiving and have received. By telling his story, he gave hope. 1 Peter 3.15 tells all believers, be, let's turn there. You need to know this is actually in there. 1 Peter 3.15, a little book towards the back. 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Listen, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Not the faith that is in you. Not the doctrine that you've learned. But the hope that's within you. That which you hope, because you've experienced it. That's what, that hope that you can give away to others because your life is a testimony to what God can do. To the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and with respect. Why tell your story with gentleness? Because you can't force anyone else into the pathway of healing. That's their choice. These eight healing choices are for each of us to make. You can't force someone else's choice. Why with respect? Because not everyone is ready to take the journey. Have you discovered that? Have you found yourself coming? I mean, we, we, we're taking on a choice every Sunday. 
Chris has got to preach on something. So every, every Sunday, we've taken on the next choice. Now, in reality, most of us don't get ready for the next choice in seven days. Some of us, uh, I, I think, have taken a few steps and, and then, well, well let's, let's hear where we're going with this. Others of us have, have, have been encouraged to, to share our stories in our home teams and to start to become even more transparent with one another, to become partners in this journey. And yet I know that over time, sometimes in our home teams, as we've talked about it, conversation is almost ground to a halt in the stickiness of knowing each other's stuff. If you're like normal people, when you start this process, it's sometimes eight weeks into this before you're even to that place that you're willing to trust other people in the group to even know you that well. Far from being done, many of us might be just now ready to start. Just becoming ready for a next step. Whenever you tell someone the truth, someone told me this once, and it's, it's been something that guides me as a pastor not to take people's reactions too personally. But people have told me that whenever you speak the truth, you'll get one of three reactions. People will get mad, people will get sad, or people will get glad. Some people aren't ready to hear the truth. Some people are, are, are wounded. They're like a dog that's been hit by a car and, and, and in pain in the middle of the road. And you rush out intending to help, and you pick up that dog. Folks, if you pick up that dog, don't be surprised that it doesn't bite you. It's hurting. People hurt. And hurting people don't always respond to, to calls to healing, to dealing with that. They want to escape that thing which is hurting rather than work with it to the point of healing. It's much more, two-thirds of those things are kind of negative, don't you think? Mad and sad. And so the last of the Beatitudes, when we come to the end of this road and we're, we're challenged to share our story, isn't it great that the last Beatitude prepares us for this reality? Blessed are the persecuted. For they do what the Lord requires. And what does the Lord require? It's to remember where you got washed. In the pool of the one who was sent. And if you are washed by him, you are part of his mission. If you've gotten healed, and you're keeping your healing locked away as your secret to yourself... You are disobeying the one who healed you. Can I put it to you straight? God calls us to join Him in this mission of healing. It never ends just with our own healing. What else happened for this guy? Do you realize that his own family, I think, saw freedom perhaps for the first time? You know, sometimes the deepest wounds within us are wounds that we carry as family secrets and don't be surprised when you start to break out of your shackles the the positioning and the 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 compensating that you've done in your life in order to to carry that wound to to guard that secret as a family when you start getting well 
everybody else connected to you in that mobile does not react favorably. For some reason, maybe it was because people had been judging them for years. Well, who sinned, him or his parents? His parents were fearful that if they spoke up at all, if, if they gave any glory to Jesus, then, then they would be put out of the synagogue. His family was a family that was living according to the pattern of this hurt and the way it had shaped their lives. How many times do hurts pass from generation to generation to generation because somewhere along the path, someone did not make the healing choice? But this young man did. And I hope you can hear just in this short story that if his family was a family of fear, he had been healed of it. Here he is before the authorities in his city, the great religious powerhouses that can cast him out, make him an outcast. And, and he, he doesn't have a flinch in him. Did you notice? Well, here's a fine thing. Here you are, the religious teachers. And we know that God only hears those who, who, who uh, do His will. He, he doesn't hear uh, the plea of sinners to continue in their sinning. He's not advocating. So what, here's the thing. You don't know where He's from. Is He a sinner or not? Come join me in vacation Bible school. And let's see if we can figure this one out, guys. You're supposed to be the religious authorities of the day. You don't want to be His disciples too, do you? Is this a guy that's scared? Is this a guy that's trembling with fear? He's found his voice. I wonder what happened to his folks as they saw their blind son stand before the authorities that be without a tremble of fear in him. I wonder if they didn't think, wow, if he can get that healed, if he can be that free from the opinions of others, maybe there's hope for me too. It's not just about our healing. Perhaps our healing has been strategically placed by the very plan of God into a whole system of hurt that needs to be healed. He saw his own family see freedom in him. Number three, the denial of other followers melted. Do you see how it ended in the story? Even those who were the Pharisees that were following Jesus at the time, they apparently thought they had it pretty well together. But after hearing this guy's story, after, after understanding that his brokenness somehow resonated with their brokenness, did you notice how the story ends? Those who thought they had it all together are now awakening to the possibility of healing. Jesus, we're not blind too, are we? Is there some healing in me? You see, when you have the courage to share your story and what God's doing to heal you, that gives others the courage to be that real, to jump into the process with you. That's true not only when you're first starting to walk in the healing choices, that's true years of walking in the recovery process. People in these groups will tell you, I can tell you, having been part of groups of recovery, that whenever someone in the group gets really honest with everyone else in the group, there is almost a watershed that night 
of coming clean. All around the group, people start saying, well, yeah, you know, I, 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 I said fine, but I, I really have been struggling. And healing can start all over again because you were willing to tell your story. His own integrity and reliance on Jesus grew all the deeper. This is so important. He wasn't speculating. He was participating. He had experienced what God could do. But Jesus returns to him. He returns to him, I think, for a very intentional and important purpose. He had taken the risk. He had trusted the process. And he had known the healing touch of God. He was in this process of discovery. If you follow through the story, he first calls Jesus the man. And then he calls Jesus the prophet. And then he calls Jesus the one from God. The one who was sent. Is it really that important that we clarify the object of our trust? Lord, who is it that I might believe in him? And Jesus said, trust me. Does it matter that you clarify who it is and what it is that you're trusting in your recovery? Man, absolutely it does. Because believe me, there are hundreds of things calling you to put your trust in them. To put your trust in a fallible friend. To put your trust in your bank account. To put your trust in your ability to make your own way. To work your way through. To put your trust in your own strength. There are a hundred faults trusts. I had a friend that when he finally turned to Jesus, people asked him why. (laughs) He said, well, I had tried everything else. It's important that we trust God and that we know who that God is. It was important enough for Jesus that Jesus returned. Why is it important? Because there are too many false things to trust out there. It's important Enough that Jesus sought him out. This final step is yielding to God. And if as yet you have not yielded to God in Jesus Christ, clarified the object of your trust, do so today. Jesus, for some reason, knew that this new follower of his was vulnerable until he did. Why share your story? That last fill in the bank there is grew. His own integrity and reliance on Jesus grew. Wow. You ready? We're going to go fast, fast, fast. Why share your story? You share your story, first of all, because you need it. You need to share it. It says here that you yield to sharing your story by word and by example. Because we are only in a certain phase of this healing process. We'll discover as we go through it again and again, not only when we go through the 12 steps, but when we later on teaching the 12 steps, every time we go through the cycle, we tend to discover more how this healing can go deeper and how we can become more free than we ever imagined. Those in the 12 steps often pray the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Folks, you're not finished with your healing until the peace sets in. One of the promises 
of those who participate in these eight healing choices is we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. If you're getting to this eighth choice and in your own heart you're saying, glad that's done, let's move on. Could that be that there's something in your past that you're still trying to keep the lid on? Maybe another round is in order. Until serenity sets in, the healing may not be complete. Sign up for round two. Take it farther. You've trusted it this far. There's more healing in store. Courage. It takes courage to continue to be intentional about your recovery. It takes courage to develop new habits and to work those into your life, to apply them until they become your new groove for doing life. It takes courage to continue to evaluate yourself and be honest about where you are. Wisdom. One of those promises is we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. You are renewing your mind not being conformed to this world, but being renewed by, in your mind. And that creates a whole new way of thinking. You set aside your stinking thinking for thinking that makes you whole. And it becomes a whole new intuition. One of the greatest things about carrying on as, in a group is the fact that you don't always have to be the one that makes the mistake to learn from it. It's a shared journey of discovery. You need to be a part of this. Others need to be a part of it. God never wastes a hurt. In 2 Corinthians 1.4, it says that the God of all comfort comforts us so that we can then become the comforter of others with the same comfort that He has given us. The grace passed to us is a grace that can be passed through us. And people, people do not identify with your victory until they identify with your struggle. Most of us think that if we shared our struggles and our weaknesses, that we would only repel people. Many of us discover that the exact opposite is true. That when we share our struggles, others identify with us. If 2 Corinthians 1-4 is true, then that means perhaps the greatest hurt you've ever known is the tool for your greatest ministry. Let me say it again. When God does the healing, the greatest hurt becomes your biggest help to others. Finally, do it because that's what God requires. In Galatians 6.1, it says, If any of you is caught in a sin, let he who is spiritual restore his brother. It talks about carrying one of another's burdens and thus, thus fulfilling the law of Christ. He commanded us to love one another. We share these stories of healing because it's what God requires. Not just because it's good for us and not just because it's good for others, but also it's because... We're being faithful to the healer. The one who called us to be prepared. To give the reason. To share the story of the reason for our hope. How do you do that? Let me share these five quick principles. It's great to write it out. 
and writing it out, our thoughts untangle themselves when they pass through the lips and through the fingertips. Write these out. First of all, list your biggest hurts, habits, or hang-ups. Start with the biggest ones. Maybe the top three. Your biggest hurts, habits, or hang-up. What happened? And how did you respond? You've heard eight testimonies that have done this very thing. What happened? How did I respond to it? How did you heal? What did you learn? Who could best benefit from your story? When you answer that question, some names might come to mind. When you ask that question, more often than not, types of people come to mind. Other people who struggle with their self-image being tied up in their job. Other people who think that it's a relationship that's going to heal them. Other people who uh, think that they're worth nothing unless their bank account is an argument to the contrary. Who could best benefit from your story? And then finally, this last question. Are you ready? Are you ready to yield, to make yourself available, to make yourself available as an example, living it in the process of healing itself? Some of us need to show up at CR. Some of us need to find our way into a 12-step or a recovery process to make sure this continues, to make sure we haven't just removed the scab without investing in the healing. Some of us need to continue to partner with that person that we've been sharing with and meet each other on a regular basis that we might continue to evaluate to discover what God has for us next in this healing process. But it's your choice. It's the last choice. The eighth choice. I yield myself to God to be used to bring His good news to others, both by my example and by my words. Blessed are they who are persecuted because they do what the Lord requires. Persecuted. And yet still blessed. It's so worth being a part of the healing business. The healing business that's the Lord works, Lord's work in our hearts and in others. I want to, I want to share one last thing with you I think is really important. As we walk this out with one another, there's always three parts to this. There's your part. We've talked about that. And that's to share your story and to share the journey. There's their part And that's to make their healing choices. You can't make them for them. And when they choose otherwise, you can't spare them the consequences of those choices. They have to make those choices. And if you don't let them, you cripple them or you retard the process. And finally, there's God's part. And that's healing in ways that none of us can fully understand. But it's healing that we have again and again found Him faithful to. 
as we've taken the journey, as, we, as, as we've risked the steps, as we've made the choices, melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Lord Jesus, this morning, continue the process. Melt our denial. Melt the lies that we might see the truth. Mold us, Lord God. Take away our character faults and mold our character to be like that of Christ. Fill us, Lord God. Fill us with you. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your way. And then, God, send us. Use us. Are you ready? Are you ready to yield? Are you ready to make your next healing choice? Let's stand.